0: Can I have your attention please? It's time for us to go ahead and get started tonight and look at this crowd we've got tonight. Y'all are gonna force this uh, podium to go up toward the front a little bit more if we keep this up, that's great. Thank you for being here And, and I see several people who are visiting with us tonight and we're honored to have you with us. We are so glad that you've come our way. I hope you'll give us a chance to welcome you more extensively after our services, and uh, we want to invite you to come back on Sunday morning for our worship at 9.30, and our Bible classes at five o'clock. I hope you took the time to pick up one of the bulletins uh, on the way in. If not, please be sure and do that on the way out. Uh, It's got all the updates. I do want to uh, mention uh, Ben Roberts. He's in 4477. He's still being evaluated. Joanne said tonight his white cell count is still high, but at least his fever's down. So he is doing a lot better, uh, but they're still running some more tests. So let's remember him and others who are sick in our prayers. Uh, If you're in the golden circle and plan to go to Amish country on October the 6th, I need you to sign the list uh, back on the table in the foyer. Also, there's several youth events that we need to call your attention to in particular, EYC and CYC sign up uh, sheets are in the foyer and uh, you need to sign up by October the 1st. Also, we need to emphasize Operation Christmas Joy. This is for Panama Missions and uh, we're asking people to bring stuffed toys and school supplies. That's what we're collecting this year. And if you can help with that, put them in the uh, big bucket there in the foyer or if you've got more questions about that, you can see D. Worley. Also, the life chain uh, for uh, pro-life against abortion is going to be this Sunday, October the 1st. Also, the men's shootout is scheduled for this coming Saturday at uh, the home of the jumpers. And uh, lunch is at noon. It's going to be a shrimp boil with corn and potatoes and hot dogs and chips. And the shooting will begin at one. So bring your your vest and uh, you know your your preserve. What do you call that? Uh, your protection or whatever. If you got one, I'd bring that if I were you. I don't know how these guys shoot, but uh, we still need you to sign up so that they can get an accurate count, if at all possible. I want to remind those in the focus group, which is the fellowship of Christian adult singles. Uh, you're going to have a get together this coming Saturday night uh, at six o'clock. A game night in the annex. So uh, please remember that. Also uh, remember our food pantry, the item for this month is uh, cornmeal. For our devotional tonight, Anthony Acock is gonna be leading us in our prayer, uh, Stephen Cooper, I mean lead our singing. Stephen Cooper will be leaving, leading our prayer and Drew Bruce will be uh, giving our devotional thoughts. So I have this letter now I want to read to you tonight and I hope you'll pay close attention to this. It's from Todd Sweeney. It says, Dear Church Family, I've held on to some things that I've done in the past, and I've let that and outside voices get the best of me. I try to act like I have everything going for me, when in reality it couldn't be further from the truth. I've let sin and temptation overcome me and change who I am. I don't want my past, and I don't want my past sin." This is from Levi Sweeney, I apologize. Got the right family, but the wrong individual. But it does take a, you think about Levi being a young person. uh, You think about all that our youth are facing today. And you know, when you come to the point that you feel like you are not in a right relationship with God and it's time to do something about that, it takes a lot of courage. And uh, Levi has made a very, very distinct statement He's asking forgiveness of God. He's asking for our forgiveness. And uh, we know and realize that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're thankful for Levi. We're thankful for his heart. We're thankful for his desire to be right with the Lord. And uh, we're going to go to our Heavenly Father on his behalf at this time. And, uh, of course, is at Freed Hardeman. But I hope that you'll let him know uh, through Facebook Messenger or texting or perhaps get his address and send him a card. Uh, you know, let him know that we're praying for him and that uh, we appreciate him and uh, the outstanding young man that he is. I wanna encourage you to please do that. I'm gonna ask for the Aaron Foster, one of our elders to come at this time and to lead our prayer on his behalf.
1: Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we bow our heads with a lot of thoughts on our minds tonight, but one of thanksgiving and, and the fact that we have forgiveness through your son and through the blood that he shed on the cross. And Father, for the avenues that we all have to be able to get forgiveness of our sins, and tonight we're reminded of that and we're so thankful for Levi. He means so much even at his age to so many of us. And he's such a powerful influence for you and for your good in your kingdom. And uh, father, we're just extremely thankful that he's able to to send this note and 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 release these sins and and ask for forgiveness and And father, we're so thankful that you are just and faithful to forgive us. So father, we pray for him and and we pray for his family and uh, we pray for his friends and those that are, that are around him at freed. And we pray for ourselves tonight as we are his brothers and sisters, that we will do our part to lift him up and to help him and, um, and to be an example to him as he has obviously been to us tonight. So we give you all the praise and glory, and we're so thankful for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. It
0: was number 552, 552 for the song of invitation. then turn to number
1: 453. 453. Mm -hmm. Ready? Let's sing.
2: I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore,
1: very
2: deeply stained with him, seeking to rise
3: Good evening. If you uh, want to turn to your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 2 tonight. Mark chapter 2, we're going to read the uh, verses 1 through 12. I want to follow up with what Brother Doug said and uh, welcome you all here tonight, visitors uh, and members. I'm so glad you're here tonight on Wednesday night. There's a lot more things we could be doing. Um, I'm going to read from the uh, NIV if you want to follow along. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your, your sins are forgiven. Now, some, some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their heart. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your, sin is, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So we said to them, to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He took, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them, of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, "We have never seen anything like this." I did uh, this same Devo a couple months back when we did a youth. A youth uh, meeting or whatever, hang out at the Parsons house, and I just keep coming back to it because I think it's something that we all can can deal with. Um, this story, we know it from a, from when we were kids. I remember growing up down at Hillcrest and ball, and we made we had Lincoln logs and we made a house and we lo- lowered lowered a, a piece of uh, construction paper down into the house like it was a mat. And I mean, you know, you hear these story, you hear the story your whole life, but as a child you hear it and you say it's because these, four, these five people love Jesus and you should love Jesus like these five people love Jesus right? And then the older we get we, we know the context and we know that Jesus has been in the whole first chapter of Mark he's been, well the last part of the first chapter of Mark, he's been uh, forgiving sins and healing people just so he can show that he has authority and that he is the son of God but my, my, my mind's simple and I go, always go back to the first part always go back to the paralyzed man and their faith, their, their love for the Lord. In the, first, the first, four, first five verses there, you find what I'm talking about. And the, the one phrase that always sticks out to me is that it says in verse 5, let's read it one more time together. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith, not the paralyzed man's faith, not the four men's faith. He saw their faith, the five. So my one question for you tonight in this short Devo is, who's in your circle? Who is the four people with you that is going to keep your faith high enough where you can, your sins can be forgiven one day? I know that personally growing up, it, I did not have a, the greatest circle growing up, and I and i will admit that to the day i die but now to the older i get and the more mature i get into my faith that my, my my circle seems to have the same faith i have so that's my one question for us tonight as we stand and sing who is in your circle have i known way lord <laughs>
0: Thank you for this day you've given us father we humbly approach you and we we pray that our prayer our service our works are are acceptable in your sight father we want to thank you tonight for letting us come together and worship this midweek uh, bible study to help us get through the rest of the week father father i want to lift a special prayer up today for the teachers and the um, kids that are about to attend class father Pray that what is said will plant a seed in them that will grow uh, for the remainder of their life and Father we thank you for all that are involved in that work Father thank you for the leadership of this church thank you for all the good that you do thank you for your grace and thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us Father you know our hearts and we know your strength thank you for all that you do in Christ's name we pray amen while the teachers lays the class, we'll sing the first line of number 589 leaning on everlasting arms What a fellowship, what a joy.
4: Well, good evening. Uh, Good to be here and good to see so many of you here. Uh, Cameron is out of town this evening or has a previous engagement, and so he was not able to be here, so I agreed to uh, fill in in his absence this evening, and Lord willing, he should be back uh, for next Wednesday. But we're going to go ahead and resume here in our ongoing study of 1 Corinthians. If you would go ahead and be turning with me to uh, the end of chapter 10, beginning at about uh, verse 23. There are just a few things very briefly there that I want to remark on, and then we will go on into chapter 11. Uh, There are some admittedly difficult passages in chapter 11, uh, and so I want us to try to spend as much of our time there as we can. Uh, But before we Uh, do that. Uh, Luther, would you mind to open us with a word of prayer? Thank you. So uh, chapter 10, last week when Cameron uh, began, and he left off at about uh, verse 22. And so when we begin at verse 23, uh, going through the rest of that text, he revisits a little bit of what we see in chapter 8. And then you can also parallel with that Romans chapter 14 as well. And so notice he says, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And then we see the context of that in 25. Uh, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. And then he quotes there uh, Psalm 24 and verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its Fullness. So what Paul is arguing here and what he's affirming is that this meat is neither inherently good nor inherently evil. But what he is driving at is the purpose of its consumption. Are we using are were they using it uh, one to meet their own physical needs or were they going to use it in some way that could be associated uh, with the pagan worship? And that's the uh, issue at hand here. And then he quotes Psalm 24-1 again uh, there in 28 as well. And so when we come uh, to the end of that, the basic gist of it is that we should look out for one another rather than our own interest and I know that can be perhaps a little difficult uh, for us sometimes. Sometimes we want what we want uh, but we do at certain times need to consider others even though the thing that we might want to do is not in and of itself sinful but it could be perceived to be in that way uh, to someone else. And then we have here that statement, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now you'll see that probably in your Bible, you'll see that as verse one of chapter 11, uh, but I'm, I'm of the mind that that should probably be in chapter 10, that's the context of that. And so really verse two should be verse one. Uh, that, that is my judgment, but nonetheless, that is how it is Range. So beginning here in chapter 11, he's going to begin talking about conduct in worship. And that is going to continue on through chapter 14. He's already addressed a lot of the uh, various issues that were plaguing the Corinthian church, the uh, division and the factions over following various preachers. In chapter 1, he addressed their carnality. He addressed the fornication that was in the church. Uh, Chapter 5, he has answered the questions about marriage. Chapter 7, and so now he is going to go on in and begin uh, here talking about conduct in worship. Uh, Now again, admittedly, these are some difficult passages. I by no means have all the answers, and I'm not going to stand before you and pretend that I do because I don't. But I am going to share with you some uh, things that I found in my study that uh, may help explain this a little bit better. Uh, This issue of head coverings, uh, beginning in about verse 3, is something that has been a matter of great confusion and sometimes contention uh, over time. Now notice he says there in two, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. That word tradition uh, here in this context would refer to the uh, doctrine that was taught by Christ and the apostles, Acts 2 and verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Uh, Then 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, uh, he encourages the Thessalonian brethren to hold fast or to stand firm in the traditions. Well, what would that be? Well, that would be uh, that which was delivered, uh, the doctrine of Christ. And that is in contrast uh, to the man-made customs and traditions that were condemned by Jesus. For example, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, when he condemns the Pharisees for putting their preferred customs over the actual doctrinal teachings of the law. And so there is some difference there, and we need to understand that difference because now we're... uh, Culturally and sadly in some sections, even in the church, we've reached a point where uh, anything that is deemed to be quote-unquote tradition or traditional is something that in the mind of some that has to be done away. But there are some things that need to remain in place and they are there for a reason. Uh, Remove not the ancient landmark. Uh, For example, Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 14. So some things need to stay as they are. So really the whole point here of this section going through verse 16 is about authority and subjection or submission. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. There's Christ over the church the head of woman is man we probably think of the marital relationship in that context and the head of Christ is god jesus said matthew 28 all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth remember when he prayed in the garden let not my will be done but yours and so we can so he's starting here from the very beginning showing that even Jesus was and is in submission to the authority of God the Father. So let us be mindful of that. And then it's from that context when he says, verse 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved." What does that have to do with anything in the 21st century? He's talking here in the immediate context about a custom of the time, but I do maintain that there is a principle that is at work here just as pertinent now as it was then in the first century, and that is that order of authority, and specifically, gender roles. That's something that we don't really like to talk about in our culture, and sadly even some in the church are straying from what God has revealed concerning that. And so, when he talks about this here. I want to be very clear about something. He is not permitting here something that he prohibits elsewhere. Chapter 14 and verse 34, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that women are to keep silent and not to usurp authority. And that idea of usurp is simply to take something that has not been delegated. And so that is what he is speaking of here. And then the cultural Uh, The cultural custom here is Cameron already uh, talked about this a little bit in one of the previous lessons, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but uh, you'll recall some of the culture of Corinth at this time, a very sinful, very wicked city, very uh, pagan-oriented, and then you had the idol worship that was taking place, and then within that you had the temple prostitutes, well, those women historically would shave their heads almost to the point of completely removing their hair. So why would Paul say that it is shameful for a man to pray or to prophesy with his head covered? Anybody want to share a thought on that? How about the physical appearance of potentially coming off as effeminate? I'm a man. I want to look like a man. I want to dress like a man so people that will know that I am a man. And that's what he is saying here. So he's going to continue. So with, the, with regards to the women in verse four, he's talking to and about the women that are in the Corinthian church. And so this is really a mark of distinction. It's a call to purity. And that's a great lesson that we can learn. You know, I know there are some that have brought forth some very strange teachings. Uh, concerning the things that Paul says here, but uh, he is really it really comes down to purity and authority. why? He did not want them to look like and act like the people that were around them in that city. He wanted them to be distinct and to be separate. He goes on. Uh, Verse six, for if a woman is not covered, uh, that would be referring to the face, let her also be shorn. So what he's saying is, if these ladies are not going to be in subjection in this one area, then they might as well go all the way. You might as well go on and look and act like these temple prostitutes. Well, of course, I don't think There's any right-thinking or rational person that would want that, but that's his point. So he's using a little bit of hyperbole uh, here, so he's using that uh, to make and to deliver that point. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, verse 7, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. He's getting ready to go back to the order of the creation. Man was created first from the dust of the ground and then woman from the man second. And of course we can see that, uh, for example, in uh, when we go back to Genesis, uh, for example, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 and verses 18 through 22, uh, we can see that. And so he's not putting women in a position of inferiority but rather what he is saying is that there are specific God-given roles that are delegated for both men and women and that because man was created first from the dust of the ground that is why and then woman from the side of the man that is why the woman is to be in subjection and then on the flip side of that, whether we be man or woman, we are all subject to the authority of Christ. Each and every one of us. God is not a respecter of persons. And so I want us to uh, clear that up and hopefully we can understand this again a little bit better. Uh, notice he says in. Verse 8, for man is not from woman, but woman from man, again back to the creation, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man, to be a helper to him, a suitable companion, again going back to Genesis chapter 2. For this reason. The woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels." That phrase, that statement has been the subject of no small amount of debate and dispute. Keep in mind the context here. The context is authority and subjection. When you go, uh, let's look briefly at a couple of passages. Second uh, Peter chapter two and verse four. If someone would like to read that for us, Second Peter chapter two and verse four. All right. Thank you, JT. And if somebody would read Jude verse 6. Thank you. And, of course, we don't know exactly what the information that Peter and Jude give us. We don't know exactly what that would have looked like. But what we can conclude from that is that at some point in heaven, there were rebellious angels and they were cast out. So, tying that back into the statement here in 1 Corinthians uh 11 and verse 10, the example of subjection, just as the angels are subject to the authority of God. Well, what happened to the ones that rebelled against that authority? They were cast out. And so when he says that here, and notice he says, now I have this in italics in mind, but he says a symbol of authority on her head. Now, it probably would have for this time period, it probably would have been something of a physical material nature, but it is what it symbolized. And what it symbolized was purity and subjection, subjection to God, to Christ, and to her husband, in contrast to the temple prostitutes who lived only for themselves satisfying the lust of the flesh. Uh, So that's, I know there are other ideas concerning that, uh, but when I ran across that, it certainly made a lot more sense to me than some of the other explanations that I have heard uh, concerning that. And then it goes on, verse 11, nevertheless, uh, neither Is man independent of woman, and woman independent of man in the Lord? For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man. Who is man born of? Physically speaking. We were all born of our mothers. They carried us in their wombs and they gave birth to us. So what Paul is saying here, and again he's going back to creation, is that despite this, or I shouldn't say despite, but considering this order of authority... There's still, I don't know if equality is the right word to use in this context or not, but the idea is is that for this reason, men and women are dependent on one another. And despite what some will try, try to tell us, it takes a man and a woman to have a child and to continue human existence. And so that, I believe, is some of what he is arguing for here as well. Uh, So as as we conclude this section, he says, Judge among yourselves, verse 13. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Well, that's a rhetorical question. He's already answered that at the beginning of the section. It's no. Does not even nature itself teach you? that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. Well again, rhetorical question. Now, there's been a lot of debate about the usage of the word nature in this context. And again, I think back to the biological and physical differences between men and women In Paul's time, and even in some somewhat more recent times, even in our own culture, the hair was sometimes used as a symbol of rebellion rather than subjection and submission. And I'm sure some of you can probably recall uh, some of those times, but the point here, again, I believe, is that women should look like women and that men should look like men. Now, I'm not going to get into how long is too long or how short is too short. A lot of that is very subjective and is a matter of our personal judgments to some degree. Uh, But there is something that can uh, maybe help us with that a little bit. Uh, When we come to verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. So the suggestion there would be that for the woman that the hair should be should have been at least long enough to go around her face. Now again that was a first-century custom. It's certainly it's not uh, something that I don't believe any of us have the right to bind or to impose today Uh, but Again, the great lesson there is authority and subjection. And again, this is regulation of the worship assembly. All right, uh, do we have anything on there on verses 2 through 16? Questions, comments? Okay, well, continuing on in the context of conduct and worship, uh, when we come down to verse 17 in our uh, modern divisions of the passages, uh, he is going to transition into uh, talking about how they were to conduct themselves in the Lord's Supper, and this, of course, is something that is applicable to men and women alike, and this is something uh, that I would contend that is still binding for us today. Uh, so let's go on as we think about it. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together for the, uh, not for the better, but for the worse. So he's going to address the division that was so rampant in the church, but here he's going to narrow the scope of that a little bit, and we're going to see some things that just ought not to be. First of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and in part I believe it, again go back to chapter 1, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved uh, may be recognized among you. So not only was there division in the church regarding uh, the following of various preachers, but then we're going to see further division along what what we would probably call today socioeconomic lines, income status, wealth, those sorts of things. They were dividing into uh, these factions and the worship was not acceptable. So he goes on, um, verse 20, Therefore, when you come together in one place, that would be wherever the church happened to be assembling, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Now, drunk in this context, it doesn't necessarily refer to the uh, consumption of alcoholic beverage, uh, but would probably be more in reference to uh, having your fill and being full. So what they would do when they would come together at the time in which they were supposed to be worshiping, they would bring food. You know, sounds like you know, they had potlucks in the first century it sounds like. But the problem with that was that Instead of separating the activities, they would eat while they were to be worshiping and then others would be left out. And it must have just been a very chaotic scene. I just, I can't imagine uh, what that would have looked like. So he goes on, uh, verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you." He's asking a rhetorical question. And so what he's telling them here uh, in verse 22 really is two things. One, because of the way they were acting, they were degrading the worship. Or another way to put that, they were profaning that which was to be holy. Secondly, uh, you could just as easily argue, given that how they were acting, there really wasn't any point in them coming together in the first place. If we're not coming together to worship, then why are we here Or do you despise the church of God? That's a very sobering statement. And something that we should think about as well. You know, we might say with our words, I love the Lord, I love the church. We can say that, but what do our actions demonstrate? If we act the opposite of the way we speak, then yes, by our actions we do despise the church. So this is a call for examination as well. So we have authority, subjection, and examination if you want to make yourself a nice little outline for chapter 11. So he's going to remind them Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And of course, you can go back uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22 uh, to read those accounts, and that is what Paul is referring to here. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, a memorial service. What is the purpose of a memorial? To remember? Mm -hmm. It can be to remember either one, an event, or it can be to commemorate the actions of an individual. And again, we have memorials and monuments all over our country commemorating different people, different events. And those things should be taken seriously. We should not show more reverence to that than we do to our Lord and Savior. in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. They were called to remember it, and we are to as well. And again, this is something that is just as binding today as it was at the time Paul penned these words. All right, uh, do we have any questions or comments on any of this? First day of the week, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. uh, There, Paul coming into Troas, I believe it was. Absolutely, so we can know that in that account that the church had come together to worship. Absolutely. That's a good point. In case you didn't hear it, Luther uh, made the observation that every week has a first day. I have yet in my 35 years to see a week that did not have a first day. Have any of you? They knew. Absolutely, because it was spelled out for them in the teachings and commandments of the law of Moses. And in similar fashion, we have it spelled out for us here. And it's so simple. This is not a complicated or complex issue. But yet, we have some that will make it such. And there are some that will kind of do what the Corinthians were doing in the first century. You know, you've probably heard of. You know, some groups offering the, you know, Saturday evening worship service. And what do they do? Well, they partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, last time I checked, Saturday is not the first day of the week. Uh, So these are things that we need to take seriously. And then the call for examination in verses 27 uh, through 34. Therefore, Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. He's telling them that they were in sin for doing this. Uh, One more passage I would uh, like for us to read. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 6. Someone would be so kind as to volunteer to read that for us. All right, thank you. And in this context, when you go back to verse 1 here, Hebrews chapter 6, the penman is speaking of one, the need for growth in the faith, and then he's showing the dangers of falling away and abandoning that faith. And that's what, that's the context here of verse six. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And that is exactly what the Corinthians were doing by their flippant and casual observation of something that was to be a solemn and somber memorial. And so I hope that we will uh, think about this each and every time that we come together on the first day of the week. Then we come to 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why am I doing this? How am I doing this? Exactly. It's where we put our minds. If our mind is somewhere else on something not related to what we are doing, are we partaking in a worthy manner? Now, I don't know what's on your mind, I don't, and you don't know what's on mine. That's something that's between us and God, and so I'm not going to Uh, past judgment obviously, but it is something that we need to think about very seriously. Uh, 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, putting himself under judgment. He's going to go on Uh, Here And he is going to explain, again, how serious this is. Notice he says in 30, For this reason, well, why? Because they were partaking in an unworthy manner. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Other translations will say dead. Now, he's talking about in the spiritual sense of the word. He's not talking about physical sickness. He's not talking about physical death. But spiritually, they were dead. A few more passages here I want us to read. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Revelation chapter 2, 20 through 23. Whoever would like to read that for us. Thank you. And this is in the context of the letter to Thyatira there in the seven churches. And when you notice when Jeremy was reading that, some of the issues they had sounded very similar to some of the problems that Corinth had. Well, he gives the remedy here repent or be lost. Another thing that we need to consider, though, is that discipline, especially in the spiritual sense, is something that is done out of love. Discipline is something that is both instructive and corrective. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And he's going to quote here from uh, Proverbs chapter 3. If you're taking notes, you might want to. Cross reference that, or you might have that in your Bible. But he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. The question is, what is our attitude going to be toward that? And as to how the Corinthians responded, we can only speculate, but Paul gives them the information and he tells them what they need to do to make this right, and that's one thing I love about, one of many things that I love about Scripture, whether it be Paul's writings or you're in the Old Testament reading the Prophets, whichever writing and section of Scripture you're looking at, there is never a problem that is revealed that isn't followed up with a solution. Here in 1 Corinthians 11, he tells them what the problems were, and then he tells them what to do about it. And why? That shows the love that God has for us. But I would say, too, It is better for us to be disciplined by the Lord and accept it than to continue in our own ways and to perish. So he goes on, uh, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, that is, all of you at the same time come together for what? To worship and to partake of the Lord's Supper. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. And again, as with verse 22 or 23, that statement there is making a, a distinction between the physical and the spiritual. He's telling them, if you are hungry before you come to worship, you go and eat a meal yourself in your home worship is not the time or the place to do that Um, all right so again subjection authority and self-examination i see the children coming uh, but quickly do we have any final remarks before we dismiss All right, well, I appreciate your kind and we will be dismissed.